You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning. Uh, nice to see everyone here. Uh, as you've heard, I drew the short straw and I get to speak to everyone about money. <laughs> so I know what you're thinking. What credentials do I have to teach you about money? Well, I'm 23. <laughs> Live at home. <laughs> have well over 40k of student debt and I've paid a grand total of seven pounds into my pension. <laughs> so probably not the example you're looking for, but it's good. It means this talk's just as much for me while preparing it as it is for all of us here. Um, now, I thought just before we turn to the Bible, it'd be really interesting to see first what society thinks about money. Uh, if you've met me before, I'm quite a fan of hip-hop, and uh, I'm sure many of us know here rappers are famously wise when it comes to their finances. <laughs> So I thought it'd be fun to look at their opinions on money. Plus, I can't imagine these are the kind of people you're going to hear quoted again on a Sunday. <laughs> so first we have J. Cole. He had, in his appropriately named song, ATM, he described his relationship with money as this. He said, a million dollars, I count up in intervals, without it, I'm miserable, I know it's going to solve every problem I have. Now, I know many of us here probably aren't counting up our millions, but is this how some of us perceive money? Is it the kind of source of joy? Is it a solution to all our problems? How many times a day do we check our bank account? How many times do we tell ourselves, oh, it'll just be that next promotion, that next little bit of money, and that'll, that'll just make things a little bit easier? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you relate a bit more to Biggie in his infamous song, No Money, No Problems. He said this. <laughs> it's like the more money we come across, it's the more problems we see. Some of us love money, but some of us loathe it. Actually, do we so fear about being run by money? Do we run from it? Do we actually are so worried about being overwhelmed by it that we just turn a blind eye to it? We just ignore it? One of my favorite groups, the Wu-Tang Clan, had a song called Cream. <laughs> Stood for cash rules everything around me. And I think actually whether we love money, whether we loathe money, it is unavoidable. It does. The world runs on it. It's of vital importance then that we learn today what it means to be wise of what we've been given. Okay, so maybe rappers aren't the source of all wisdom. <laughs> but where can we look for financial wisdom? Well, I'd say part of this sermon series, we're looking at the wisdom that can be found in the book of Proverbs. And uh, in, verse thir- uh, in chapter 13, verse 16, I think we see an example of what it means to be wise. It says, a wise man thinks ahead, a fool doesn't. He even brags about it. I think wisdom is living in the present in light of the future. I think we see so many examples of that in Proverbs. We can look at the wise man who works hard plowing his soil. He prepares his seeds so that in the harvest to come, he reaps a great reward. He works hard in the present because he's living in light of the future. They're the wise parents. They train up their child in the way he should go so that even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Teaching discipline's hard. If you do it in light of the future. Proverbs even goes as far to say that answer-wise, they store up provisions in light of the future. Why not you do the same? Wisdom is this kind of trade-off. It is that sacrificing in the present, but you're doing it because you're looking to the future. Uh, we see this with the wise man. He built his house on, the, house on the rock. He sacrificed in the present, but he did it in light of the future. The inverse to this is building your house on the sand. It was easy, but actually didn't stand the test of time. I think this is a biblical example of foolishness. Foolishness is living in the present without any recognition of the future to come. Esau in the Bible, I'd say, is probably one of the biggest examples of foolishness. He has uh, something coming his way called the birthright. It means that one day he can inherit all his father's possessions. His father was a wealthy man. It was going to be a lot of possessions. And what he did was he traded it all for a bowl of soup. 
He did it. He comes home one day after hunting. He's really hungry. He goes, oh, that smells good. Jacob goes, oh, do you want some? I tried it for your birthright. <laughs> he goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> Actually, I think he chooses the short-term gratification over the long-term reward, and that's because a fool lives in the present without any recognition of the future. And I think the same can be for us today. Actually, I think someone can foolishly buy a car they can't afford and finance because they think of the short-term joy of driving it without the long-term financial ramifications. I think more seriously, you can look at someone who has the short-term fleeting joy of an affair but ignores the long-term relationship damages and how it affects their family and kids. So we've defined here wisdom as living and present in light of the future and foolishness as living in the present without any recognition of the future to come. How do we apply this to our finances? We will be come back to Proverbs for some practical examples, but I think Jesus shows us in Luke 16, in the rather strange parable of the shrewd manager. It goes like this. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. The manager said to himself, what should I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into the houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. So the first he asked, how much do you owe my master? He replied, 900 gallons of olive oil. And he said, quick, take your bill, make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? He says, 800, uh, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He quick, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. I mean, I find this bizarre. But actually... I don't believe Jesus is trying to condone theft in here. The manager is described as unrighteous. But I do believe Jesus is trying to illustrate the point that even unrighteous men can be wise with their money. So why in this example is he wise? Well, I think firstly, he realizes three things. His life, he knows it's nearly over. At this point, he knows in 24 hours' time, all his money, his influence, it goes. Secondly, I think he realizes that um, what he has now It's not his anyway. He's a manager. He's stewarding over it. He will lose it at some point. And thirdly, I think he realizes that this period of life he's in now is not equal to his life to come. And so what he does is he uses his current resources in light of that future. He lived in the present in light of the future. That's why he's wise. And Jesus, I think, is telling us to do the same from this parable. He's saying, realize your life will be over before you know it. He's saying, actually, what you have on earth, it's just given to you. It comes and goes. And he's saying that the life to come is infinitely more important. It will be longer, richer, deeper, and better in every way. And so you should use your current finances with a view to your future life and not your present life. Live in the present in light of the future. He emphasizes this again in uh, Luke 16, verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcome to eternal dwellings. Jesus wants us to use money to love people. And the problem with greed is we use people to love money. Let me just repeat that again. Jesus wants us to use money to love people. And the problem with greed is we use people to love money. Jesus didn't just teach this message. He lived it. I think we see this. We look at the gospel. Actually, God created the world. It was good. We're rich in relationship with him. But through greed, we became poor. But for the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Christ, the ultimate example, he thought the kingdom was worth investing everything. Do we think the same? So practically, how do we apply this to our lives? We've been inspired, we want to do it. I think we can look back to Proverbs for this. And I think I've got three practical points I think will help us uh, in being wise with our money. I think the first one is work hard. I think work is a good biblical principle. Talked about a few weeks ago. Adam worked before the fall. I don't think there's anything wrong with working hard and making money. Proverbs 10 verse 4 tells us that lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. I think it's then how we use that wealth that really counts. Actually, we've already talked about we want to use the wealth we have to bless others, but if we have no wealth, how can we bless them? Mm. So point one is work hard. Point two, I think save hard. I think we've talked so much about looking to the future. That's what saving is. It's sacrificing now, putting aside. It's looking for what's ahead. Proverbs 21 verse 20 tells us the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. I think one day we're given account for our spending. I think, actually, those that do save are often more careful spenders. When you look at a budget, you watch closely where your money goes. I think we want to be people who are wise with our money, not foolish or wasteful. We want to spend it on worthwhile endeavours. I think the third point that saving is so important is because it will enable us to do my next reason. So we've got work hard, save hard, and I think we need to give generously. I think Proverbs 10, verse 24 is hugely challenging for me on this. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I think whether it's to the church, whether it's to the poor, whether it's even to one another, I think we're called to be generous. We're called to be a blessing. I can personally tell you of many times I regret buying something. I can never think of a single time I regretted being less generous. Jim Elliott was a famous missionary. He didn't just give his money, but he gave his life to investing in the kingdom. And he said this, He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I think uh, another example of what a kingdom mindset looks like is John Wesley. For those of you who don't know John Wesley, he was a a Christian theologian from the 1700s. He's credited as leading the Methodist movement. He was born to Samuel. He was a priest. He had 10 children, uh, of which he struggled to provide for financially and was twice put in prison for his large amounts of debts. And when John grew up, he was determined he didn't want to be the same. Um, He went to teach at Oxford University, became a fellow of Lincoln College, and he had a lot of wealth. And initially, he splurged it. He spent it on car games, tobacco, brandy. One day at Oxford, he had an event that totally changed his life. He said he'd just finished paying for some pictures for his room when one of the chainmates came to his door. It was a cold day. He noticed that she had nothing to protect her except a thin linen gown. So he reached into his pocket to give her some money, but he found he had too little left. Immediately, it struck him. The Lord was not pleased with how he'd spent his money. He asked himself, what will thy master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are these pictures not the blood of this poor maid? Something changed in John Wesley's heart that day. His views on budgeting and spending, they changed for the remainder of his life. He began to reduce his expenses because he wanted to be able to give more away. His first year at Oxford, he earned £30, which in those days was enough for a fairly comfortable living for a single individual. But he thought he could tighten up a little bit, 
live on 28 pounds, and so he gave away two pounds. In his second year, his income doubled. He went up to earning 60 pounds. He kept his expenses the same, living on 28, giving away 32, more than half his income. This continued. His income increased to 90 pounds, then 120 pounds over the next two years, but his spending stayed the same. His giving increased. By the end of John Wesley's life, he earned nearly 1,500 pounds in a year. His spending only increased to 30 pounds. He gave away 98% of his income. John Wesley lived in the present in light of the future. Now, I'm not here to suggest that we all just start giving away 98% of our income. (laughs) But I do feel very challenged by that attitude towards money. I can look back now. When I was a student, I didn't have nearly as much money as I had now. I lived well. I had essentials. I had enough money to buy a beer, wear some clothes. I mean, it was, life was all right. I look now, I earn so much more money. I'm so much more blessed. But am I more of a blessing to other people? I think this could be a challenge for lots of us here. Lots of us would be able to look back at times where we had less. And now that we have more, sometimes wonder where that extra money's gone. How have we spent it? Have we looked at, spent on people around us? Have we invested into the kingdom of God? Or have we spent it on ourselves? Joe Biden was one of Obama's, he was Obama's vice president. And he had this to say about money. He said, don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget. I'll tell you what you value. I think John Wesley and Jesus, you can see from their spin, they value the kingdom. What do we value? When we get that next promotion, maybe you'll push for a new job with a higher salary. How will we spend that extra money? We look at going for a slightly nicer car, maybe a second holiday. Will we invest it in the kingdom? My prayer for us today, myself included, is that we'll become a people living now in light of the future. A little bit later, we're going to have a chance to pray together. But in the meantime, we are going to invite Ross up, who is also going to speak to us from Proverbs on discipline. So let's give him a really warm welcome, shall we? Great. So um, I thought I would just kind of shake things up a little bit. And um, actually, what I really wanted to speak on was the uh, biblical and modern-day relevance for circumcision. Um, So... Um, no, no, I'm joking. I'm not, I'm not speaking. I'm not speaking on that. I'm sorry if you're a visitor. Um, but I am told that the resident expert is rich on this subject. So um, if, if you do have uh, questions, then, then grab him or perhaps uh, get some prayer after the service. Um, so, no, be, before I get uh, kicked off stage by Pete. Um, so I wanted to start with a, with a question, actually. And, uh, and the question is this. So, um, you know, imagine if one of your friends, a good friend of yours, came up to you and said to you, I've seen an area in your life that I really feel I need to challenge you on. I've seen an area in your life that I really need to challenge you on. What would be your response? What would be your first reaction? Would it be anger? Would you, would you be angry? Would you be irritated? Like, oh, who is this? about come on chill out mate you know would you be um would you be offended would you be defensive I, I wonder what what your action would 
would be. And, and that's kind of uh, what I want to talk about today. So, so I want to talk about correction. And, um, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the kind of wider subject of discipline, of, of self-control. And that's a, the big theme in Proverbs as well. Um, but what I w- really wanted to kind of hone in on today was uh, how God uses people in our lives to challenge us and correct us. And, um, you know, the, f- the first thing that I, I think really needs to be said here is, you know, with this, with correction, Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the goal. As with any area of our life, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be closer to him in our relationship. So that, that is the ultimate goal here. Jesus was the, the happiest, most joyful, most gracious person who ever lived. And we want to be more like him through this area of correction. And, and if you do remember one thing from today, then I would hope that it would be this, that correction makes us holier and happier through humility. So correction makes us holier and happier through uh, humility. We'll come on to how uh, uh, humility is kind of a key enabler of this in a bit, but just to kind of go uh, to the best place um, as ever, the scriptures just kind of learn, learn there about holiness and, and happiness in, in, in the light of correction. And the, the first point is this, we all need correction. We are all fallen. Yes, even Pete needs correction. <laughs> Especially Pete needs correction. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, we, we, we've all fallen. You know, Romans 3 says, uh, you know, none of us have attained that righteous standard that God requires. Um, and uh, Proverbs 1.23 says this, says, uh, repent at my rebuke. This is God speaking. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. So we should have this expectation that God is going to be challenging us. He is going to be correcting us in areas of our life because we have areas that aren't aligned with his will. And God expects us to, to listen to him and actually to change our ways, to, to, listen, to, his, to listen to his rebuke uh, and change our ways. I think I fell out a little bit. Um, the, the, the second point is this. God often uses people in our lives to correct us. So Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, it's really interesting. When it's talking about friend there, it's talking about someone who loves you, who cares about you, to the point where they are willing to actually tell you the truth, even if it hurts. Those are the wounds. But there's this sense that they're faithful wounds. They will lead to fruit. You know, sin makes us miserable. You know, sin eats away our soul. One Peter talks about sin waging war against our soul. And so by uh, responding to correction, actually it's going to lead to greater happiness. And that those are those faithful wounds. And, um, you know, as I was uh, preparing for, for this, I actually was reminded of a time where I was corrected. And uh, so it was a few years ago, and I was in like a, a church service, and there was a, there was a guy who, who uh, was visiting uh, and uh, delivered a, a sermon and uh, at the end, there was a time for, for prophecy and, and prayer. And um, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in, these, uh, you know, in a situation where there's a big group of people, you're in the audience, and you're, you're really hoping that you're not going to be the one that they pick you know, to, to do something or say something about you. You're trying to hide behind the chair and avoid eye contact. You know. um, I was that guy. So he came straight up to me and actually went up to me and said, uh, said this. And he said, you, and he, I'd never met him before, I didn't know him. 
He said, you are uh, you're afraid, you have fear of sharing your faith with people around you. And my, my, first, rea- my, my first thought was like, in front of my friends, really? Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, I, I was kind of like, wow, like, this has never happened to me before. That's, uh, you know, I just had to take a moment. I was, I was a bit taken aback. And, um, but, but actually, you know, that was true. I, I, was, I, I, was, I was experiencing, you know, fear of, of man. Fear of man, as the Bible calls it. You know, esteeming the, the praise of man over the opinion of, of, of God. And, um, and it was completely true. So that really actually helped me uh, to address that area, to be really intentional about it, you know, to get prayer from those around me, and just you know, have it as a topic that I could walk with my, my friends, my good friends around me in, in that area. So God does use people around us in our life. And of course, you know, I'd never met him before, but often it, it is those people who are closest to us that can, that can see these things and can help us in love to, to address these areas. And that brings me on to my, my, my third point, which is, which is this. Correction is painful, but it is a sign of God's love for us. So, I mean, I'm sure there's no one in here who would, who would say that they enjoy when they're being corrected, you know? And if you're saying that, then, you know, check your heart, because you're probably lying. Um, but... I mean, it's just, it's not pleasant, whatever it is. Even if the consequences are good and fruitful and they do make us happier, that, that process isn't pleasant. And, um, but, but it is a sign of God's love for us. And, and the scriptures tell us that. So in Proverbs 3.12, it says this, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So God has this father's heart for us. And just like an earthly father who would you know, discipline a child in order to prevent them from going astray and actually hurting themselves even more, God does that with us. Um, and, and, and there's this uh, sense of delighting in us, and that's why he, he does that. Um, but the Bible also recognizes that it isn't pleasant. And uh, Hebrews 12:11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And this is what we're talking about. So it, it produces a harvest of righteousness. This is holiness. It, it, it aligns us closer to uh, the life and example of Jesus. And, and, and then it also leads to peace. And this is the sense of, you know, we, we are, because we're more like him, because we are a little bit uh, holier in a sense, we are actually going to be happier. We're going to have that inner, deeper contentment, that joyfulness in, in our hearts because there's a little bit less sin in, in our lives. So correction does make us holier and happier. But, you know, how, how, can, we, how can we really respond? And, uh, you know, I personally have found it really helpful to uh, ask certain people in my life to, to speak into my life, you know, to have the, the permission to, to challenge me when they see areas that, that, are, that are not right. Uh, one, one of these people is, is Hannah, my wife. So, you know, we, we tell each other, you know, speak into my life, speak into my life, you know, challenge me. And so often those people are really, you're really close with, they see the good and the bad. You know, they, they, you know, all that friction that comes out of relationship, you know, they, they're the ones who will see everything. Um, but I've also found it helpful uh, asking uh, some people in, in the church. So I meet up with a couple of guys in the church 
We meet uh, every week or every couple of weeks just to spend time together, get to know one another, but have that base of accountability, you know, where, we, where we've given each other permission to, to challenge each other on the way we think or the way we act and, and, uh, in, in our life. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, perhaps, you know, you, you have someone in your life right now speaking into your life. Um, are, you, are you listening to them? Are you listening to them? Are you responding to that? Or are you just saying, don't want to hear it? Are you avoiding those conversations? Or perhaps you've uh, never had anybody speak into your life like that. That's completely novel to you. And, and right now, you don't have someone like that. Then I'd really encourage you, you know, just to, to, to pray, prayerfully uh, seek that. You know, just, just pray to God. And, and, you know, who is there around you in your life who is wise, who you completely trust, who, who you know um, loves you and has their, uh, your best interests at, at heart, who, who you know will tell you the truth even, even when it hurts. I'd really encourage, encourage you to, to pray about that. But really, all of this is, is all about humility. As I said at the beginning, uh, correction makes us holier and happy, happier through humility. So without humility, none of this is possible. We can't respond to correction well. And um, in this, you know, when we, when we receive correction, we have basically have two choices. Uh, the one choice is uh, the, the, the response of humility. Do we humble ourselves? Do we say, okay, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to respond to that. Or do we allow pride to get in the, get in the way of it? And um, you know, really the best example of humility, of course, is Jesus. So I wanted to end at looking at him. You know, if we can emulate Jesus' humility in this area, then we will, we will get success. Uh, and there's this great passage in Philippians 2 that says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, even though he was equal with God, even though he had that divinity, he had the humility to come to earth in the form of a, of a man, you know, physically limited in every way that we are limited. He had the humility to, to come to earth, not just as a man, but to serve us. It says in the scripture, you know, he came to, to serve, not to be served, even though he deserved it. And he came to earth and had that humility to die for our, for our sake on that cross, taking the sins that we had committed, he had never committed, so that we could have relationship with him. So if we can emulate that humility, if we can respond to correction in that way, then, the, then we will be holier and happier as a result.